Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Let's pray. Father, speak peace to my heart. Speak peace to our hearts. Speak joy to our spirit. Because Christ our Lord indeed is risen today. And it's because of that fact and that reality makes all the difference in the world for each of us today. Bless your word. Bless us, Father, as we gather here on this Resurrection Sunday celebrating our great Savior. Help us, Lord, to just focus. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally yet, maybe they know about you, but they've never personally met you. May today be their day of salvation. May today be their day where their spirit is raised from the dead and they come alive in Christ. Bless and work in the lives of those who have not been saved yet. And for those of us that have been saved by your grace and mercy, we ask, Lord, that you'll just work in our hearts, that we won't just go our own way and do our own thing. Help us not to just pass on by. Help us to stop, reflect, and Lord, may our life show our appreciation for your great love to us. Work in our lives, saved or lost today. Lord, draw us to the cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. These papers up front are going to, the teens are going to be helping me out here in a little bit. But I wanted to go to a very familiar scripture verse, John 3.16. Anyone ever heard of it, John 3.16? In John 3.16, the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. But have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. He said, there, there are two camps. You, I can move you. You're either going to be a perishing or you're going to have eternal life. I always think of this, you know, when you're in a produce section. They're perishable produce. Your bananas don't last long, do they? They start perishing very quickly. In the same respect, we as human beings, uh, outside of Christ, we are perishing. We wither as we go grow older. We don't get stronger as we grow older. We, we wither and we wither and we wither. But ultimately, for the Christian, though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed every day. So the inward us that have been saved uh, get stronger each and every day. And it's all because of God's great and extravagant love towards us in saving us. I thought of this theme that was chosen for today. God's extravagant love. And as I think of the extravagant love of God, I thought it was interesting. I I looked up the definition for the word extravagant. If we can bring that up here, it might be a little blurry. I'll read it to you. The word extravagant means this. To spend much more than is necessary or wise. The word extravagant means wasteful, excessively high. Exceeding what is reasonable and costing too much. Interesting. When I read that definition, I said, wow. I said, I better look into the origin of the word because that doesn't sound like a real good definition, does it? It said God's extravagant love that that it's spending more than is necessary or wise, wasteful, 
excessively high? The origin of that word comes from the word extra, which is Latin, means outside. And it comes from the Latin word vagari, V-A-G-A-R-I, vagari, which means to wander. You know the Spanish word va, V-A, to go, that verb. But the word means outside and to wander, or to wander outside, to wander beyond the boundaries, to move in a realm that is outside of what is normal, necessary, or needed. That's what the word extravagant means. And I struggled with that because I said, well, Lord, how could, how could we celebrate your extravagant love when it's defined as wasteful? When it's defined as going beyond the boundary? When it's defined as doing something that is more than necessary or normal? Well, the more I prayed over this word, because, you know, I'm a word guy. I don't want to use the wrong words, right? I said, Lord, what is this? And you know what he spoke to my heart about? He said, Tim, the problem with that definition is it's the definition of the observer looking in. It's not the definition of the one that made the expenditure. You ever think of that? In other words, let me explain it this way. We illustrate it by thinking of a father And we would say, he put on an extravagant wedding for his daughter. Now, I just happen to have a couple people here that are going to help me out. They're props. You know what? I better go down there. I'm going to kill somebody up here. Now, I wouldn't really kill you. But I'm going to knock something over. Now, all right, honey, you can stand there. Each of them hold a sign. Hold your sign right here. Now. We would say, the father put on an extravagant wedding for his daughter. The definition of that is the observer looking in at the wedding and saying, that is extravagant, that is excessive, that is beyond what is normal, that is wandering beyond the value or, or what is normal in our society. The reason for that is because we on the outside value the daughter, and we'll put this down, honey. There you slide it down there. We have a lower value on the daughter than the father. And we think the father's expenditure was excessive and beyond what is normal. You see, that's my view looking in. But on the inside, the father's value, put that one down, the father's value of the daughter is very high. And so from his view, what seems excessive to others is not excessive to him because of the value that he places on his daughter. Are you with me on this? So to the father, all that he did for his daughter is not extravagant. It's something out of a heart of love because the value of his daughter is so great in his eyes. Are you with me? In the same way, The Father values us because we are made in His image. It's the Father's value of you and I that says that the price is not too high. It's not extravagant because the value on you and I from the Father is so great. And there's only one person that thinks it's excessive or extravagant. And that's the devil. 
It's the devil that says, no, she's not worth it. He's not worth it. Your child's not worth this. But, but friends, let me tell you something. God says we are worth the extravagant price. Amen? Because of the value. And you put it a little higher there, didn't you, honey? Okay, that's great. Thanks. You can sit down. So when I look at this word, as I think of this definition and I realize that we are not the observers of the extravagant love. We are the recipients of this love. We are the recipients of God's love. It's the devil who is the observer of how much God loves us. And this verse we just read, John 3.16, is all about that truth. As a matter of fact, when we read the verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We pause at a very small word in that text. And it's the word so. The father so loved the daughter. God so loves us. This word so, I look and I say, why does it use the adverb so? Why doesn't it just say God loved the world? Why do we have to attach, or why does the original attach, hutos? Hutos means, is our word so. Hutos means in this manner. In this manner. In other words, it means you cannot define in words God's love without describing the action that displays the love. In other words, there are no words in and of themselves to define what this love is. And so it puts the word so in front of it. In other words, it needs an action, a display, not simply a definition. To just write a definition would be insufficient without the display of just what it means. In what manner does God love you and I? At what depth? We use, we use this word so many times. You know, we'll say that that person is so good at, at playing the instruments. That bird flew so high. That water was so cold. In other words, it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond description without experiencing the action and seeing it displayed. Either experiencing yourself or seeing it displayed. I tell people, you know, when I was last day of hunting and I was crossing a flooded creek and walked across a log that's got ice frozen on it and, and you know the devil tripped me halfway across boom I go into the water this deep and it's been 20 degrees all day today that day and that water was so cold <laughs> now I tell you it's so cold and you think oh yeah it's probably a little chilly but I would if you could experience it with me you would understand what I mean when I say it was so cold. I mean, it was cold, freezing cold. Especially the second time I had to go back in to get my gun out of the bottom of the water. <laughs> that was even worse because I was wet. Then going back in. That's a long story. But the idea is I cannot simply define it in such a way that you understand and comprehend the, the coldness, the, the chill of that water. In the same way, that's what this word so is all about. God's love for you 
was so beyond words to describe it that you and I have to see it displayed before we can even begin to comprehend it. Before you can even really begin to comprehend the love that God has for you. He can't just tell you. He displays it. And he demonstrates it, this incredible love for you, by giving to us and sending to us his most valued possession, his own son. His own son. And he even says, this is my beloved son. That's the same like putting the word so in front of it. This is my beloved son. How much do I love? I love him so much. And yet I will give my beloved son so that Jesus will come and describe for you my love and display to you my love. You see, God's extravagant love for you and I took him outside the realm of what is normal. Took him outside the realm of what one would expect. Took him outside the realm of what you or I would think is necessary as observers. God's extravagant, excessive love for you was willing to pay a price that took him beyond the bounds of simply not just paying dollars for your redemption, not buying you back with religion, not buying you back with good works saying you do these things and I will save you. Instead, he doesn't even use the innocent blood of animals to say, this is how much I love you. I will sacrifice this animal on your behalf. No, you know what he says? This is how much I love you. I will send my only begotten and beloved son to come to you, not simply to tell you how much I love you, but to show you how much I love you. To display for you, to put my love on display to what extent I am willing to go outside that which is normal or acceptable or expected. God's extravagant love to you and I was demonstrated by how much He so loved us, but also demonstrated by His display of even sacrificing His Son for us. You see, that's what we read when we read Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 33, we pick up the account and it says, They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, bitterness. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, make note of this, above his head, they placed the written charge against him. Now, above the head of a criminal, they would put what it was that they were crucified for. Above the head of the robbers, they would put robbery and also sedition and murder. But above Jesus' head, the Romans said, this is the reason we are crucifying him. And the charge that was written against him was, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The only charge that man could put up there, which wasn't a violation at all. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. I want you to notice verse 39. You're going to mentally come back to it later. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, 
shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Was he the Son of God? Yeah. Did he come down from the cross? No. He says, no, I'm here to display how much God loves you. I'm not going to stop yet. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Were they lying? Yes. (laughs) They weren't going to believe even if Jesus came down from the cross. But he wasn't coming down. He trusted in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Was he the son of God? Yes. Did the father want him? Yes. But yet the father wanted him to display his love for him. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him and also helped insulting, throwing insults on him. From the sixth hour, by the way, that's when the sacrifice for the Passover was offered at the sixth hour. Until the ninth hour, that's when prayer was offered up. Remember Peter and John went to the temple at the ninth hour. That's when prayer was offered up after the sacrifice was given. From the sixth hour, 12 noon, until the ninth hour, 3 in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he's taken on the sins of the world, the Father now treats him in justice and judgment as God and has to turn his back on his only begotten son. It's literally what it means to forsake, to turn away and not look upon. He could not look upon Jesus because of our sin. When some of those standing heard him, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, remember it's the ninth hour, it's the hour of prayer, the time to pray. He gave up his spirit. What did he cry out? Matthew tells, or Luke tells us, he cried out, it is finished. The sacrifice was made at noon. The suffering took place. The punishment was poured upon him. But at the ninth hour, three o'clock that afternoon, he cries out with a loud voice, which means he had to push up on a cross to fill his lungs with air. And he yells out, It is finished! It's finished! (coughs) Excuse me. At that moment, the curtain of the temple is torn from the top to the bottom. As Jesus hung on that cross, he asked a question. A question he knew the answer to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew the answer to that question was because, Son, I so love those people. I so love man, no matter where they're at in life, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they might see, no matter how low they might have gotten, how bad they might have been. I so love them because I made them in my image. And my image has great value, and they're made in that image. And the value of my love for them 
does not make my price in my eyes excessive or exceedingly high. You see, when Jesus died as our substitute, he was paying for your sin and my sin. But I found it interesting that while he hung there on the cross, do you realize there were actually two signs on the cross that day? One that is visible that we see and one that we do not see. The one that we do not see, the one we see rather, was put on by man. The one that we do not see was put on by God. As a matter of fact, our teens are going to come in and help display this in a moment. But I want to read out of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 tells us the following. In verse 13, when we, when you and I were dead in sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ uh, for forgiving us all our sin. How much of our sin? All of our sin. He, when the day you accepted Christ your Savior, He forgave you all of your sin. All of it. From the birth to the the grave, everything has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Right? You say, well, how did he do that? He says, having canceled the written code, or literally charges, with its regulations, that was against us and stood opposed to us. In other words, all the crime that you and I committed, he took that, and the scripture tells us, he took it away nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, literally a public display of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you, teens. did a great job displaying that. But you know, when you look at the cross and the pile of those various sins and various issues, somewhere in the mix is your sign and my sign. The handwriting of ordinances that were against me, the charges that were against me. God says, though man put on the cross, king of the Jews, he said, I put on the cross every ordinance that was against you, and I took it out, nailing it to the cross. And not only did I nail it to the cross, he says, but... My son yelled out and cried out, It is finished. Every one of those sins, every one of those uh, uh, issues, every one of those problems, every one of them was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And today we're free because of His great love and sacrifice for us. Amen. Amen. But the devil says, but, but God, that price is too high. They're not worth it. But God says, oh, yes, they are. He says, Satan, you be quiet. They are worth it. If they weren't worth it, I would not have sent my son. What a humbling reality when you realize the depth by which God loves you. And you say, but didn't he love his son? Oh, yes. It's his only begotten, it is his beloved son. You see, the death on the cross, it could not take words to define it. It had to be displayed. God's love had to be displayed, and he displayed it by Jesus dying for your sins and my sin. 
That's what the cross displays. But the empty tomb displays that God also loves his son beyond words and had to display it by raising him from the dead. You see, he promises, son, your soul will not see corruption. I will raise you from the dead. I will raise you from the grip of sin and Satan. I will raise you from the ground. I will raise you all the ways up till you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And I make all your enemies to be your footstool. You see, friends, God's love did not stop at the grave of defeat. God's love rose to the realms of glory. That's the love of God, amen? It doesn't stop down here. It rises all the way to glory. He goes, man, I love you, and I love my son and what he did for you. And I love you so much that in my eyes, it's not excessive, it's not extravagant at all. It's not out of the bounds of what I consider needed or necessary. It's all well within the bounds of my love. You see, friends, God's extravagant love to you and I was displayed on that cross. His extravagant love for His Son was displayed in the resurrection. And yet, there were also two questions. There were two signs, one visible, one invisible. One that we saw a man put on the cross and one that we did not see God put on the cross. But do you know there's also two questions concerning the cross? One question that Jesus asked. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though he knew the answer. We know that question. But do you realize in Lamentations 1.12, there is another question that you do not read in in the gospel accounts. It's a question that God is asking while his son is hanging on the cross. And in verse 39, as it says, as those that passed by. In other words, they didn't stop to absorb it. They walked on past. As those passed by, God asked them a question. And the question he asked them, Lamentations 1.12, is this. Is it nothing? Is it of no value to all who pass by? In other words, this is the value I Put on my love for you. But is my son's value to you nothing? So much so that you just pass by. There's an interesting and true story. I had to vet it out to make sure it was true. There's a story that took place in Missouri back during the Great Depression. The man's name was John Griffin. He was a bridge master. You may know the account. This bridge master, one day, took his son with him to work. And as the ships were going up and down the Mississippi River, he had the the bridge up. It was a railroad trestle. And he had the bridge up as the boats went past, and he was just enjoying his time with his son. He loved his son deeply. He was his only son. and, And yet, while they were sitting there enjoying, the time flew by. And all of a sudden, he heard the the shriek of a siren, a whistle go off. It was a train whistle. He looked at his watch, and it was 107. It was the Memphis Express that had 400 people on that train. He quickly ran up to the control house and went to grab the lever. As he looked to be sure there was no ships going by, he saw that down below, his 8-year-old son 
Greg, had slipped down and fallen down into the gears of that bridge. With anxiety, trying to think of a plan of how to rescue him and get to him, he could not do both. He could not get that bridge lowered, and he could not get his son out of there in time. So in great agony, John Griffin buried his head in his arm and flipped the switch as the train started squealing across that, that bridge, knowing that it was going to cost his son's life. And as he sat there, tears streaming down his face, he's just staring at this boxcars going by with businessmen in their suits just passing by. Ladies all dressed up going somewhere who knows where. Children sitting in the dining cars with their long spoons down in the ice cream, just enjoying their ice cream. And as they passed by, it is recorded that John Griffin yelled out, I sacrificed my son for you! Don't you care? And they all safely made it across that bridge. I found it interesting that years later, there was actually a movie called The Most that was produced. It was also produced overseas called The Bridge, overseas. It really struck the people in Prague, in the Czech Republic. Uh, so much so, I was amazed at how many were asking about this. Is this true? When did this happen? And so forth. And I found an excerpt from that movie I thought I would just share with you. And so take them off. We can get these moving, but true story. And you think, how can he do that? How can he do that? And yet we look at the cross and we say, Lord, how can you do that for us? Because we know who we are. And our value for us is so small in our own eyes, let alone the devil's. But God's value for you is so high. It's so high that it's as high as his son, as great as his son, and, and he was willing to sacrifice his son for you and for I. This is the question that God asks that we don't read in the Gospels. Is it nothing to all who pass by? Is it nothing? Is it of no value? What value is it to you? And I don't, I don't want to leave because, you know, we need to celebrate his resurrection, but we also need to pause at his sacrifice and say, what value is it to you and I? What value is it to me? Do I just pass by and do my own thing? Is God's value for what he did for me only worth one weekend a year, two weekends a year? Three weekends to come worship him? What's it worth to? Is it worth my time to come and worship him and say, thank you, Lord? Is it worth it to me to repent for my sin and turn and say, you know, how can I continue living in this? Because that's what Jesus died for. What's the value to me? He says, I know the value. I will turn from that which I'm still floundering in. And I will turn with praise and appreciation. So the question that goes unanswered, is not why have you forsaken me. Jesus knew that answer because I love the world. The question that we have to answer is it of no value to all who pass by, or is it of great value? How many say it's of great value? Amen. It's of great value. Amen. We're going to stand and sing because you know what? That's His love for you. His love for His Son also rose from the dead. Amen.
He is alive today to give you a new life. He's alive today to change your life. If you're here and you're not saved, let's stand together. If you're here and you're not saved today, this is a great day to get saved. No better day than Resurrection Sunday. Today is so simple, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because all you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place. And put all your faith in Him and say, Lord, I ask you to be my personal Savior today. Today, I repent and I ask you to forgive me and save me. Just as some have done just in the past couple weeks. Just seeing how God saved them. You can do the same today. You can come. Our ministry team is going to come and pray. They'll be glad to introduce you to Jesus if you're not saved. But Christian, maybe you are saved. You say, you know, I've gotten so slack in my Christian walk and my expression of my love to God that it's time for me to start meaning business with God. It's time, time for me to say, you know what, Lord, I need to get back at it because you are of great value to me. What a great day to come and just rededicate your life to Christ. Give it back to Christ today. Let's give it up as we sing. Sing it from the heart as an expression of your great love for God.